0: Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Hey, church! right. We got some people in the room and they're excited. A few staff, some leaders that are allowed to come and join with us. We're so grateful. The rest of you are watching online, and we're so thankful. We got people across the city, around the nation, around the globe, and of course our campuses: Niverville, North End, Bronx Park, Winnipeg South. Let's us few people give them all a big shout. All right. We're so thrilled you could join us. And, you know, it's been kind of ironic. I mean, here it is. We're now 11 months into the pandemic and the church is still in lockdown. You know, the first thing to go is when you're in lockdown too long, personal hygiene. I haven't used deodorant and mouthwash for 11 months and nobody's even noticed they can't get close enough to me. But you know there are some hardships in it. For example, you've been a hard time getting a haircut, going to a barber or a hairdresser, and so people have started doing something. I think it's very creative. They're starting to cut their own hair, and I brought a few pictures along for you for your amusement. This guy did the reverse mohawk. I think it's working for him personally. Uh, this guy just wanted bangs. <laughs> You gotta love it. Now this guy, you know what? I guess he just couldn't reach the back there. Uh, You know what? That's one mullet that I think Steve, Pastor Steve could still pull off. What do you guys think? I love the creativity of this one though. This gal obviously has way too much time on her hands. I don't know how long it takes to build a helicopter out of your hair, but I love it. And here's my personal favorite. I think you're gonna like it too. The The Afro cap right? (laughs) Also, it's not a haircut, it's a hat cut. And uh, I I just love that. And uh, you know, some people are starting to look a little goofier than they used to, but that's okay. I should talk. I I, got to tell you this. So I have a phone, many of you probably do, that unlocks with facial recognition it no longer identifies me in the morning when I wake up. It won't unlock. It takes a brush of my hair and two cups of coffee before it starts recognizing and unlocks my phone. How long is it going to be before Kathy stops recognizing me? (laughs) That's that's going to be interesting. One morning she's going to roll over and go, Whoa! (laughs) So here we are. We're having a lot of fun with this whole thing. And uh, we are looking at lessons uh, from lockdown. And we're talking about Paul's lockdown, not ours. And Paul was some four and a half years in lockdown. He kind of got used to it. And during that time, rather than bickering, he used his time wisely. And he actually wrote dozens, probably hundreds of letters, four of them which ended up in the Bible. Three of them, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. That are amongst the finest of all the things that he wrote in the New Testament. And it's interesting to me that sometimes your best work is actually at the end of your career. Like it was in his case. He wrote the most glorious books. I keep reminding people of that and I'll tell you why. You know what people ask me every week, and I haven't figured out why? They keep saying to me, so when are you retiring? (laughs) You know, that question makes me nervous. Why do people keep asking me that? I always say to them, I haven't even peaked yet. What do you mean when am I retiring? I will retire when I am standing in the pulpit, drooling and repeating myself. Drooling and repeating myself. (laughs) (laughs) I was <laughs> oh, for your amusement. All right, so today we're looking at another lesson from lockdown. And my title of my message today is called God's Grace is Ginormous. Now, that word ginormous, it's not made up. That is not something from the urban dictionary, some slang that young people use. That word has been in the Oxford Dictionary for 70 years. And it's a combination of gigantic and enormous, ginormous, and I don't think anything describes the grace of God better than ginormous. What do you think? Because God's grace is so incredible. You know this word appears 119 times in the New Testament. Guess how many of them were Paul? Over a hundred of them were Paul's words. He starts and finishes almost every one of the epistles with grace to you. There was something about grace that Paul knew that we need to learn. So I'm going to give you a little bit of the backstory here today. So after Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, and we'll look at that today, but after that encounter, he didn't actually go to Jerusalem and hang out with the Christians there. He actually went on the road. He took his missionary journey, and he traveled all over Asia Minor, and he went to Greek and Roman cities, and he won hundreds and probably thousands of people to Christ. He established churches in every one of these cities. And during that time, he describes that God gave him Personally, a revelation, he calls it a revelation of the gospel of grace. And this is important to understand because the gospel of grace was not something that predominated in the church of Jerusalem. This was something that Paul had discovered, Paul had revealed to him, and he went out and he understood this simple truth, that the gospel of grace is that the message of the gospel is available to all people, Jew and Greek, male and female, slave and free. We were all one in Christ and it didn't have anything to do with your ethnic pedigree or your religious piety that if you accepted the work of the cross, you too could be a Christian. That was the message of grace. So after 14 years of this incredible outreach and establishing churches everywhere, he returns to Jerusalem. Now here's what was interesting about Jerusalem. Jerusalem, of course, uh, was by that time, or at least sometime in that journey, there was about 100,000 people in the church in Jerusalem. I mean, it was truly the first mega church. But here's what happened. Every single last one of them pretty much were Jews. I mean, Jesus was a Jew, the disciples were Jews, the residents of Jerusalem were Jews. It only makes sense that these were Jews that came to Christ, and the early church was very Judaic, so much so that what they did was they kept the Sabbath, they obeyed the best they could the Ten Commandments, and the men were all circumcised. So they were really judaic christians there's no doubt about that so paul shows up think about this with his message of grace the fact that the gospel could go to the not only to the jew but also to the gentile and he shows up with one of his young protégés this man's name was titus titus was one of his converts eventually became the the pastor of the church on the island of crete he was a greek he was not circumcised and so when he shows up with Titus, there's controversy arises and they think that this man needed to be circumcised. Paul contended that he did not. It was the circumcision of the heart, not the circumcision of the body. They got into this little bit of contention and Paul refused under the gospel of grace to circumcise this man. Now, I'm thinking, as I'm reading this story, that I don't want to be Titus. I don't want to be the guy in the room while everybody's talking about my willy, right? (laughs) I mean, uncomfortable. (laughs) And anyway, so anyway, Paul refused to do that. So Paul brought this amazing message of the gospel of grace. And the early church, don't miss this, the early church in Jerusalem did not really understand the gospel of grace. That's why Paul had to explain it to him. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of salvation to all who will believe to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. The gospel of grace. So they didn't understand it. And you know what? I don't think we totally understand it today either. When well, you ask the average Christian or person today in North America or the Western world, what does grace mean? Most of them won't be able to tell you. Grace, yeah, I know her. She parks in the back parking lot. Uh, grace, what's that? That's that little prayer we say before we eat, right? Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God. You know what? I think we can do a whole lot better. And we're going to look at this message of grace and I, you know, I'm going to warn you, we're only going to scratch the surface today. I can't go into the depths of it. It is so fantastic. But we can maybe get a good start on it. So here we are. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 4. And this is what Paul says. He said, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast. Did you notice how many times he mentioned the word grace? And did you notice that two times out of the three, he said, by grace, you were saved. His message of grace was so much part of who he was. And he wanted desperately the world to understand this message because the message of grace will literally transform you. And see, here's the thing about it that we can't really get into today. But here's the thing about grace. Paul contends that every gift that comes from above comes from God's grace. You were not only saved by faith, you were healed by faith, you're forgiven by faith, you're empowered by faith, you're inspired by faith, or sorry, by grace. You heard me. Uh right, I say grace. And every one of these things are things that come to us by his grace. They come from above, down by the grace of God. And here's the way I like to put it. I spell grace like this G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. All of these things come by God's grace. So today, I'm just going to give you three. I'm going to throw them up on the screen. Here are the three things that we're going to delve into today. Number one, grace overwhelms the undeserving. Number two, grace overturns our just deserts. That will make sense. Number three, grace overcomes our evil ways. So the first thing is this, is that grace overwhelms the undeserving. Now, if anybody knows anything about this, it has to be Paul, right? I mean, if anybody was undeserving, it was him. He was a treacherous man. He was a man who, before he was Paul the Apostle, we all know who he was. He was Saul of Tarsus, going about. He was was, uh, busy persecuting the church. He was busy uh, giving them grief. He was busy killing Christians. And one day, Saul of Tarsus is on his way on the road to Damascus to go kill some Christians and persecute the church. And who should appear in front of him? But Jesus Christ himself, and he arrests him on the road to uh, Damascus. And Paul falls down on his face. And these words come out of Jesus' mouth. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Interesting, right? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting my bride? Why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? And so you need to remember this, that when you attack a fellow believer, God takes it personally. And so he's taking it personally. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And of course, Paul falls down on his face. And rather than resisting, don't miss this. Rather than resisting, he immediately says, what do you want me to do? Wow. What was that all about? Why didn't he resist? Why is it all of this? sudden, I'll tell you why. Because he had encountered the grace of God. I want you to think about this big picture if you think of any other God, in any other universe or any other kind of comic or you know mythological world, any other God, if he encountered his enemy on the road, what would he do? He would strike him down. He would bring justice. He would, he would take him out. But we find Jesus appears to him, and instead of offering him vengeance, what he does is he offers him grace. He takes this treacherous, villainous, murderous man and he loves him and shows him his grace and immediately Paul responds to it. Philip Yancey, who wrote the book, What's So Amazing About Grace, made this this observation. He says, Jesus had an uncanny ability to look at every person through the eyes of grace. And it's true. It was true with Paul and it's true with every one of us that when he looks down on us, he doesn't want to destroy us. What he wants to do is he wants us to bring us into his family. So here's how Jesus put it. Jesus told a story about this. It's in Luke 14. And it's a parable. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a man. He was holding a banquet for his son's wedding. And what he did was he invited, had invited guests. He invited them. But one by one, they made excuses why they couldn't come. And one said, I have bought some property. I need to go see it. Another said, I've just got married myself. Another one said, I bought an ox. I'm not sure why an ox prevents you from going to a wedding, but that was his excuse. I guess all the good excuses were gone. And so anyway, they didn't come. And so then the master said to his servants, he said, go out into the highways and byways and find the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind and compel them to come in that my banquet may be full. Now, you understand this parable, don't you? I think you do. You see, the gospel went first to the Jews. The Jews were invited. Don't think for a moment that he didn't extend grace to them. He did, but they refused. They rejected his grace so then he says, go out into the byways and find the, the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. He says, go out and find the Gentile. Go find the undeserving. And those people came in. And see, that's a picture of God's grace. Jesus was describing the gospel of grace. It's for all people and all men. And if people reject it, then he can't stop them. But he will always extend that invitation. So I want to tell you a really remarkable story that will illustrate this. And it's a true story that happened in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. It was reported in the Boston Globe and they went to a bunch of other places. And here's how the story went. There was this man and woman, they were engaged to be getting married. And the woman uh, was well-to-do. She was a professional at this point in her life. And she went down to the Hyatt Hotel. She booked the place. And it was going to be $13,000. You can't do this nowadays for that kind of money. But in 1990, you could a big, fancy wedding reception. $13,000. They required half of it down, so she paid the $6,500. A few weeks later, her fiance gets cold feet and calls the wedding off. So she goes back to the hotel and tries to get her $6,500 back and they say it's non-refundable. You can't have it back. So she's thinking to herself, I'm not losing this money. I'm going to have a party and I'll change it from my wedding reception to my I-just-got-jilted reception and I'll invite people. But now half the guest list or more is gone because my husband and his friends will not be coming, right? And so she's scratching her head trying to figure out who to invite because she's already invited all her friends. And then she has an idea. See, she had fallen on hard times some years before that. She ended up in a homeless shelter. She was on the streets and she was an addict. And by the grace of other human beings, they brought her out of that mess and restored her life. And now she was prospering and succeeding in life. And she went back to that homeless shelter where she got taken in so many years before. And she went back and she invited the people in the homeless shelter to her party at the Hyatt. And the Boston Globe who appeared there said they had never seen anything like it. There was tuxedoed and gloved hand waiters serving hors d'oeuvres and champagne to bag ladies and vagrant street people and drug addicts. And there had never been a scene like that. And of course, in honor of the groom, she served boneless chicken. (laughs) But I remember reading that story and I thought to myself, that's the picture of Luke 14. That's the picture of the fact that what God does is he will extend his grace to whoever will receive it. And if if they don't want it, that's one thing. But he wants to bring every single person. So he says, go out into the highways and the byways. You know, if you read this story, this Luke 14, you realize Jesus wasn't a very good Calvinist, right? I know if you know anything about Calvinism, Calvinism is kind of restrictive as to who is invited to come and get saved. And this sounds to me like everybody gets the invitation. And there's five points of Calvinism, and I'm not going to go through them. But there is one point that I really love in Calvinism, and it's the fourth tenet of Calvinism, and it's this. It's called Irresistible Grace. And it's that when God extends his grace to you, it is so powerful and so compelling that it becomes irresistible. And that he extends it to you and he imposes it upon you. And it's so extraordinarily powerful. It's like a tractor beam in Star Wars, just drawing you back in or Star Trek. You got that picture, right? And I think about that because that's what it seemed like what happened to Paul in the road to Damascus. He didn't resist the moment he encountered the grace of God face to face. He fell over and he gave himself over to it. We had a story this week just like this. It was fantastic. I got to tell it to you. So this Tuesday... There was a vehicle. I saw, saw it parked out in the parking lot. He was pretty much there all afternoon. And he was just sitting there with his motor running. It was 30 below on Tuesday. And he's sitting there with his motor running. And nobody thought anything of it. And, and then at the end of the day, Pastor Steve was, was leaving for the day. And, and, and he went out there. And he knocked on the window. And the man rolled down his window. And there was this man there. And he says, can I help you? And he said, I, I, I'm, I'm desperate. He says, I'm trying to figure out a way to to get close to God, but I don't know how to do it. He says, all the churches are closed. I can't go to church. And he says, my sister comes to this church. And I thought to myself, maybe I'll go to that church and the building's closed and the church is closed and I can't go to a service. So I've been sitting here in the parking lot, just trying to get close to God. Do you know how I can get close to God? And Steve says, well, matter of fact, I do. And he shares the gospel with this young man. And this young man gave his heart to Christ. And you know what he did? He got out of his car and he knelt down in the snow in 30 below weather and gave his heart to Christ. That's the power of the irresistible grace. Grace overwhelms the undeserving. So that's my first point. The second point is this, is that grace overturns our just deserts. Now, just desserts is a bit of an archaic idiom. We don't use it much anymore. I know some of you are looking at that and saying, isn't that a restaurant, just desserts, where they serve only restaurant, only desserts? Then that's true. It's spelt different, by the way. Uh, just desserts is a, like I said, a bit of an old-fashioned expression, but it means for someone to get their comeuppance. It means for someone to get what's coming to them, to, for them to deserve justice and have that justice exercised on them. And this is what's so fascinating about, What grace does, grace overturns our just deserts. We have things in our life that we deserve, and because of grace, we don't have to face them. Actually, there's two words, I wanna bring up another word here that's very similar to grace, and we often get them confused, It's mercy. We all know that word, mercy, and we sometimes link them together. We say mercy and grace, and we talk about that, and we don't distinguish it between the two. But though there are similarities, I'm gonna drive a wedge between them because they're actually much differently. And see, mercy means this. Mercy means that we do not get what we deserve. I'm going to put it up on the screen so you're sure what I'm saying. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. The thing we all deserve, you probably know this, is to go to hell. And because of God's mercy, we don't go to hell. It's a pretty good deal. I'll give you another example of this. During the Napoleonic Wars, there was a traitor, and Napoleon was about to execute this young man. And the young man's mother showed up and pleaded with Napoleon and said, sire, have mercy on my son. And Napoleon turned to the woman and said, does your son deserve mercy? And this is what she said. She said, it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. And Napoleon said, you have said rightly, I'm going to show mercy on your son. And, she, and he did not execute the son. You see, that's a picture of how mercy works. We do not get, not getting, what you actually deserve. Your just desserts. I remember when I was in, probably around grade 7, I had this French teacher. I'll never forget his name. His name was Monsieur de Montier. And the reason I'll never forget him is because he didn't like me and he failed me. And uh, I don't know why he didn't like me. Who wouldn't like me, right? I mean, you you all like me, don't you? And I thought, who wouldn't like me? And here was the thing. I greeted him every day. Every morning, I greeted him with a song that I wrote myself. And the song went like this. I would come into the classroom and I would say... Monsieur de Montier, what are you doing today, Monsieur de Montier? I mean, that's a lovely greeting. Isn't it? <laughs> Apparently, he didn't like it. And, and so he decided he was going to fail me. That's what I think, because I must have been very good at French. I could say Monsieur. And so anyway, at the end of the year, I was pretty much rocking an F, and I needed all I needed was a D in my final exam, and I could pass the course. And when I got my paper back, he gave me an F. I remember going to him and saying, Monsieur de Montier, I don't deserve an F. He said, you're right, you don't, but it's the lowest mark I'm allowed to give. <laughs> so we have this picture of mercy. That was a little bit of a distraction. Uh, we have this picture of mercy, which is not getting what you deserve. Now, grace, on the other hand, is getting what you don't deserve. Let me, let me throw it up. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Let me put them both together so you can see the difference. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Now, what, here's what you're not getting that you do deserve is hell, fire, and damnation. You deserve that, but you're not getting it in God's mercy. I'll tell you what you don't deserve that you are getting. And that is God's goodness, his favor, his love, his joy, his peace, his life, and life more abundantly. All of those things. See, it's not just a matter that we're not going to hell. He has given us this amazing life by his grace. By grace you have been saved and all the benefits of it. He is giving us this amazing gift of all the goodness of God. Every good thing that comes down from above. So let me tell you a great story. I think i will help you understand this. I've told it before, so some of you will recognize it. But it, it's the story of New York City. In New York City, there's an airport. If you fly domestically into New York, you go through LaGuardia Airport. If you fly internationally, you go through JFK. And so if you've ever flown in domestically into uh, there, you'll fly into LaGuardia. It's named after a man who was a mayor in the 1930s, and his name was Fiorello LaGuardia. And uh, here's a picture of him. Looks like a mafia boss. When I sent it to tech, they thought I was showing them a picture of Al Capone. It's actually not. This is Fiorello. Uh, All Italians, (laughs) they all look like mobsters. What can I tell you? (laughs) My mom's Italian, I know. All my relatives, my grandfather looked just like that. Anyway, uh, so Fiorello was all through the dirty 30s. He was the mayor of New York City. And uh, he was, Fiorello actually literally means little flower. He always wore a carnation. They called him the little flower. Hour, and he was this little five foot two man with this great big hat that I just showed you. And he always wore that big hat, and that was sort of his trademark. He was absolutely beloved in this city of New York. He was so kind-hearted, and he was so, he was helping these people get through the dirty 30s. One of the things he would do is that people didn't have enough money to buy a newspaper, and he would go on the radio every Sunday afternoon, and he would read the comic strips, comics, to the children on the radio, because he knew that they wouldn't be able to get a newspaper into their home. That's a kind-hearted, thoughtful man. So what happened in 1935, one night, he was uh, he went to the courtroom in the poorest district of all New York City, and the night judge was about to start a shift, he said, why don't you go home, spend the time with your family, let me take the caseload. So he sat down in the magistrate's chair, and he began to judge these cases. That evening, there was a man who was being up on the charges of stealing a loaf of bread to feed his family. Now, when he found out that he had stole the loaf of bread to feed his family, he knew what he had to do. And he said, even though you had good intentions for what you've done, it's still wrong. And under the law, I have no choice but to find you guilty. And I fine you $10. And then he took that hat that I showed you a picture of. He took that hat. He pulled $10 out of his own pocket. And he put it in the hat. And he says, now I have paid your fine. And then he turned to the courtroom, and he said, furthermore, I find every last one of you in this courtroom 50 cents a person for living in a city that requires a man to steal a loaf of bread to feed his family. And the bailiff took that hat, and they passed that hat all around the courtroom. The hat came back, the bailiff took the $10 out for the fine, and then took that hat and dumped it in the bewildered hands of the convicted man. He walked out of that incident, not only exonerated, as it were, of his crime, but $47.50 richer. See, that's a picture of God's grace. He not only did not get what he did deserve, but he also got what he didn't deserve. You following this? I know you are. So I'm going to throw it up one more time. Here it is. Justice is getting what you do deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. That's why I'm putting it in print, because otherwise I'd just plain confuse you, wouldn't I? And I'm just so grateful, first of all, that I don't get what I deserve. Aren't you glad about that? Here's another illustration if you missed that one. And it goes like this. So you're driving down Bishop Grandin. You've just left church. You're going down Bishop Grannon. You're speeding. You're doing 80 in a 60. You get pulled over. Justice would be the cop will give you a speeding ticket. Mercy, he will let you off with a warning. Grace, he will give you one of his jelly donuts. <laughs> now you all get it. So the first thing is this is that grace overwhelms the undeserving. The second thing is grace overturns our justice desserts. And the last and the final thing is this, is that grace overcomes our evil ways. And of course, who's a better example of that than Paul the Apostle? What happened with Paul was he encountered the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus that day, and he was going 100 miles an hour against Christ, and now he begins to live his life a hundred miles an hour For, And what he tells us is this is that we all have things, we all have things we struggle with, and we all have hangups that we struggle with. And he says, "Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the only way we can possibly overcome the evil that is within our heart is by the grace of God." So we had a conversation this week about an evangelist who died recently. And uh, he had a very illustrious career. He had impacted many, many people. It looked like he lived above reproach. And after he died, it came out that he actually was living an absolutely despicable life. He was basically the Christian Peter Nygaard. He was taking advantage of women. He was going for, you know, erotic massages. And the list went on and on and on. And people were so shocked. And we were talking about it in our staff meeting. And and one of one of the staff members asked an interesting question and said, Do you think a man like this, I mean, he didn't have a chance to repent, he didn't get caught before he he died, he actually got caught after, do you think a man like that would even go to heaven? And I said, whoa, whoa, time out. We got to understand something, we got to remember something, that nobody goes to hell for your sins. You actually go to hell for rejecting the work of the cross. It's the only reason you go to hell is that we did not accept the grace of God as he extended it to us. We did not accept the work of the cross that he brought to us. And yes, your sins are the things that will send you there. But that's not the problem because here's the deal, guys. We all have sin. Every last one of us has abiding sin. Do you honestly think that there's anyone in this room with the exception of maybe me that doesn't have sin? You know I'm kidding. If only people who are sinless go to heaven it's going to be a very sparsely populated place. Let's see. We'll have Peter, Paul, Mother Teresa, maybe Saint Francis of Assisi. This guy sitting up front here. But the rest of us, we don't have a hope, right? Because we all have things that linger in our lives. We all have abiding sins. And that's why Paul made this very profound statement. He said, where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. When you are sinful, that's when the grace of God comes into your life in a greater measure. And then, of course, people ask this question, which is actually in the scripture. They say, well, if grace abounds where sin is, then should we continue in sin that grace might abound? And Paul says, heaven forbid. You don't understand what you're talking about. That's not the nature of grace. Grace isn't the freedom to sin. Grace is the freedom from sin. Do you really want to go through your whole life saying, well, I'm going to get away with as much as I can and be a reproach to the gospel and live a defeated life? Wouldn't you rather go to heaven and hear these words? Well done, good and faithful servant. I'll tell you what, there's nothing I want to hear more than those words. And you should want to too. And God has given us his grace not to be perfect, but to overcome the snares of the enemy in our lives. Paul says it's going to be hard. He tells us, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. The things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. That's why you need the grace of God. The grace of God empowers you to overcome the evil ways that we all have in our heart. Let me illustrate this. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have power brakes on your car? Really? Half of you have power brakes? You know you all have power brakes, don't you? Who do you think you are, Fred Flintstone? Starting stopping that car with your feet, for goodness sakes? <laughs> you know, he makes it go and stop. This guy actually is Fred Flintstone. Love this. Uh, I think he's pulling off uh, Fred Flintstone. Not so sure about Wilma. But nevertheless, uh, we don't have our, our feet to stop the car. You think, well, I'm the guy pushing the brake. You push the brake. The brakes do the work. When you're going 100 kilometers an hour down the highway and there's an obstacle and you hit the brakes, do you think you're stopping that car? You're not stopping the car. The brakes are stopping that car. Those power assists kicks in and that vehicle comes to a halt. It's an incredible mechanism. Grace works the same way. You see, don't think for a minute that you can go through life and say, God, take away all these things. Don't make me do anything. That's not how it's going to work. Everything that God gives us by grace we have to put we have to have a, our will and volition involved with that. We have to decide, okay, I'm putting my foot on the brakes and the moment we make that decision, the grace of God kicks in. That's how you overcome the snares and the arrows and the deceit of the enemy. Is it a picnic? Is it easy? No. It's not. But I'll tell you, it works. And we can all live these amazing lives because what happens is that grace overcomes our evil ways. So let me close with one final story about this. So uh, when I was in high school, we had two... You know how you all have the in-group? In our high school, we had two in-groups. And uh, they were the, the bingers and the burnouts. And the burnouts, they sat around in their parents' basement smoking pot and listening to Pink Floyd oh, man, the wall is awesome. And, uh, you know, they they were just a bunch of burnouts. They never left the basement. Every once in a while, we would see them at parties. I wasn't part of that group. Had nothing to do with them except bumping into them at joint events. I was part of the other group called the Bingers. I might have actually been a bit of a ringleader of that group, I'm not sure. And what this group did was they had fake IDs and they knew how to buy beer and they knew how to go to the bar and they used to do all those things. I was, (laughs) my mom's gonna hate this story. I was 16 years old and I had a fake ID that said I was 21. When I was 16, I looked 12. Do you know do you know what do you know what my yearbook quip is? Honest to God truth. On on Pemna Highway, there was a hotel called the Norlander. Some of you remember that. It had a a bar in the back of it called the Shield and Axe. My yearbook quote, which is there for time immemorial for people to say, was this. Mark thinks he's a Viking check out the shield and axe. <laughs> so now you know who I am. And so the burnouts were in basements and they were smoking pot and listening to Pink Floyd. And the bingers were out getting drunk and roaming the streets like a pack of dogs and getting into trouble and all kinds of things. And of course, we thought the you know, burnouts were losers and the losers thought we were the burnouts. Uh, or sorry, we were the losers. And it was a big mess. You can imagine this. So anyway, after high school was over, I never really saw any of these people. And uh, the burnouts, I'm pretty sure, are still sitting in their parents' basement smoking pot and listening to Pink Floyd. Uh, the bingers, we all went on to better things and were killed in motor vehicle accidents and things like that. And uh, and some of us, like myself, I don't know if you know my story, I got saved and I'm now pastoring a church. And so that's my story. You probably know some of that. So here's the end of this this tale. So... Uh, about 30 years after high school, I'm pastoring the church. We're in this building. We're holding a big event. It's a Promise Keepers event. We have 2,000 men in the room. And uh, I'm actually giving one of the sessions and I preached in the morning. In the afternoon, I was taking in another session. I was sitting right there in the very far corner in the back. And then the lights came on and uh, men only worship in the dark, by the way. I'm not sure why. And the lights came on and I got up and I started walking. And I ran into a friend from high school who was actually part of the burnouts. And his name was Tom, and he was actually one of the leaders of the burnouts. And so the burnout and the binger encountered each other at a Promise Keepers event. And when I saw him, I immediately <laughs> recognized him because he's still wearing a mullet. <laughs> and so I immediately recognized him and I went, Tom? And he went, hi Mark, he knows who I am. Everybody knows who I am, I'm famous. And I went, tom and then i said this this is what came out of my mouth what are you doing here (laughs) you know what he said back to me i was gonna ask you the same question what are you doing here i said i'm the pastor to which he said i repeat what are you doing here (laughs) you're getting this don't you I mean, we were the two biggest write-offs in high school and we meet 30 years later in a promise keeper event because the two of us had been both touched by the grace of God and we stood there in that silent moment just for a second and embraced one another and both cracked up. We were just killing ourselves because we never expected the other person could ever possibly have come to Christ. Here we were in high school and we thought, we, we thought, the you know, I thought the burnouts were losers, but the burnouts thought the bingers were losers. Turns out the real losers who weren't part of those groups, they, they were the winners, we were the losers, we were all a bunch of losers. And God reached down, he touched these two losers and brought them together in a promise keeper's event. 30 years later. you got to love that, don't you? That's the power, the unmistakable, irrepressible power of the grace of God. So finally, I want to just leave you with this quote. You all know or probably know who uh, john newton is john newton actually was this better way to put it he was a slave trader terrible despicable treacherous person he encountered the grace of god he got saved he became a pastor kind of like me you know and uh he was sharing the gospel and doing all these things and he wrote a song that you all know amazing grace and his autobiographical amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now i'm found was blind But now I see he's singing about himself. This slave trader, this horrible person had encountered the grace of God and everything changed. But here's a quote you don't know or might not know. It's not as famous. And he said, when I get to heaven, I will encounter three great wonders. And the first great wonder will be to see people there I did not expect to see there. The second great wonder will to miss people I actually expect it to be there. But the greatest wonder of them all will be to find myself there. And you know what? That's the power of God's grace. God's grace overwhelms the undeserving. God's grace overturns our just deserts. God's grace overcomes our evil ways because God's grace is ginormous. Amen. So for those of you that are watching online, I know that if you've never figured out grace before, you probably figured it out today. And I want to encourage you to do something for me, that I want you to not resist God's irresistible grace. And I think today God is visiting many people right now, watching wherever you are, and he's reaching down into your heart and he's pulling you and tugging you in. And you can say no if you want, but I'm asking you not to today because that feeling you have, that sense you have right now is God pulling you and drawing you towards him. And it's so simple. You see, grace is the hand of God reaching down from heaven. Faith is the hand of man reaching up. By grace, you were saved through faith. I read today, I didn't preach on it, but that's how it works. And your action of deciding to accept the grace of God today will change everything in your life. And so the simple thing, the first step is to just click on that little hand on the side of your screen. And the second step is this, to repeat with me, after me in this prayer, a prayer inviting the grace of God into your life. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. That while I was still a sinner, you loved me and you showed mercy to me and you died on the cross. And then on the third day, you rose again. And you forever live to be my Lord. And by your grace, old things have passed away. All things have become new. And today, I'm a Christian. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you, friend. Welcome to the family. Yeah, you can give these folks a hand online that made that decision. Thanks for joining us.